here before, but we're going to have one. We have, I think right now, over 7,000 eggs. We have four bicycles that we're going to give away. We have bags and bags and bags of diabetes-inducing candy that we are going to pump full into the kids and then send them home with their parents where they can deal with the bouncing off the walls because we're a church that ministers to our community. <laughs> that being said, I need a little help. We are going to have a little bit of a party. So today after the service which, if any indication is, should be over by 2 or 3 o'clock. Um, we're going to have an egg packing party, but what we're going to do is we're going to let everybody go get something to eat first. Actually, we, we planned it for 1, um, 1 or 1.30, depending on when church gets out, to come back. And basically, there are things you do in the church, you know, to, to disciple, to educate, to bring people up. And sometimes in church, we think that all church can be is just Bible study, and Bible study should be at the very core of any church because why would we be here without it? But there also need to be fellowship opportunities, times where we can sit around as just a bunch of friends and goof off. Amen? And that's what the, that's what the egg packing party is there for. If you're like, you know, I got rheumatoid, I, I can't, you know, because my mom has that. And, and, but you know what? If you want to come and goof off with us, that would also be a ministry to those that are packing. Plus, I got the kids, and they've got those little hands, and they can just pack away, right? But, but we need there to be, I need some of you guys to be there to crack the whip on them, right? Some of them are just to goof off and joke around with me. So about 1, 1.30, if you guys want to come back, we're going to meet in this room, and we are going to start putting eggs together. Also, if you plan on being a part of the Easter egg, and we need volunteers that day, and I won't necessarily make you wear bunny ears, but I won't necessarily not make you wear bunny ears. Um, that's right, John. Um, <laughs> But if you want to be a part of that, then also come back between 1 and 1.30 because we're going to get all the tasks assigned. We're going to get all the roles assigned. Okay, we need people to man this booth or to man this. We're going to have face painting. Casey, how's it coming with our, with our port? Casey's actually painting the box where you can put your face through. and Exactly right. Thank you, Casey, for that pun. Um, I can always count on him for that. So we're going to be doing all that. It is going to be a lot of fun. You know what? Church should be, I know you're shocked, fun. Amen. I look, I, I look forward to hanging out with you guys. I look forward to being in the church. I mean, this is a good place, you know? There are a lot of places out there that you can go and sit today and not come away feeling like you're going to feel at the end of this service, like God has been there and put something into you, and it's not something that takes out of you and drains you, right? Amen? All right. Um, turn with me in your Bibles. We'll start at 1 Peter. I plan on spending almost no time there today, but it is our overriding text for the 10, 10 sermons that are in this series. For those of you that have been paying attention, it is 10 questions the world is asking that the church needs to answer, and we are on question, does anybody know? Six? Is it six? I don't know. Um, it's not written in my notes. Um, while you're turning, there's something else, too, that I kind of have... I'm just kind of mulling this over, and if you want to be a part of this, just let me know. Uh, one of our deacons, Jesse, had uh, blood on his brain, and he had to have an operation to get that off of his brain. And he went into rehab, and about a week into rehab, it looked like everything was going well, and he had a seizure. And he was in the hospital for two days that he does not remember. Um, so he came out of that, and we're like, okay, let's give this another shot. Went in therapy again for a week and had another seizure, and then went back in, and then he had a fall. Um, he had a fall while he was in one of the rehab places, and so now he's in, what's the name of it? Northwoods, 
And I'm thinking about next week because we're all going to be here on Easter and we're all going to be looking pretty and things like that. And do you know that Northwood has absolutely no service for the people that are there, that are there 24 hours? And so I'm thinking about just getting a group together and maybe going over there about 3 o'clock next week and just doing a service. You know, I got my go-to praise and worship peeps, right? You got, you got, I'm, I'm volunteering you guys. That's what I'm subtly doing from the pulpit. Um, making that eye contact, right? But anybody that wants to go, it would be a huge blessing to a lot of them that are not going to have a chance to get to a church this week and um, just be a good thing to do. We'll just go down there. We'll sing some songs. We'll do a little message, maybe a little hooping and hollering because, you know, we're, we're Pentecostal wherever we go, right? We're not just Pentecostal here. We're Pentecostal everywhere. Um, <clears throat> so if you guys could turn off my monitor or turn down my monitor a little bit. Thank you. Okay. First Peter chapter 3, verse 13 through 16. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile you revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So the key verse there is always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. That is, of course, assuming that you guys are acting like there's enough hope in you that somebody needs to ask that, right? If we're a bunch of glum gusses, you know, sour-sucking saints, what are uh, lemon-sucking saints? Was that the word where they say you look like you've been sucking on a lemon? You know, we're all frowny and stuff like that. And I know some people are like, hey, my natural face is just frowny. I get that, and for you, it is an act of sacrifice to make people feel welcome, amen? But what we want is we want to be showing joy to people enough so that they're asking us, why are you so happy? What is wrong with you, right? And then we can give an account for the hope that is in us. Now, last week we had RU, and the week before that, um, I was, I, I have to tell you this, it was kind of funny because Donnie and I were joking about this, um, I had told Donnie when he was coming down here with RU, I was like, hey, this is the sermon series we're doing, so if you want, just kind of, you know, pick a sermon that goes along with this. Now, keep in mind, I get a lot of texts from people I don't know sometimes because I'm at the church, so people call the church, and my cell phone is on the answering machine because I want them to be able to get a hold of me if they need me, but somebody texted me and said, if it's okay with you, my question is this, how do we solve the drug problem in America? But he's not in my contacts list. So all I got was this message that says, my question for you, if it's okay, is how do we solve the drug problem in America? I'm like, do you want me to text this back to you? I don't get it. Turns out it was Donnie and his message, and it was a great message. Um, before that, the, the week we did before that, the question I had asked was, what about the hypocrites, right? Because that's what we hear a lot, that the church is full of hypocrites. But the statement I make and I stand by is that nobody who says the church is full of hypocrites is not going to church because of it. Amen. Nobody who says the church is full of hypocrites is not going to church because the church is full of hypocrites. And what we're going to talk about today is the reason why most of the people that would say something like that aren't actually coming, and it has nothing to do with the hypocrisy in the church, but it has everything to do with where we're going. So let's go to Matthew 21. This is Palm Sunday, and if you went to a normal church, the whole service would be on Palm Sunday in the triumphal injury. How many of you know you don't go to a normal church? Amen. We're... We're convinced of that. We don't do cutesy little feel-good sermons here, right? We preach the word. We preach it as it says. We preach it, you know, the way the Lord wrote it. Um, and if it messes us up, it messes us up, and we deal with that. Amen? 
Sometimes God's going to tell me things that I don't like, you know. Most of the time it's shut up, right? He's like, be quiet for a second, let me talk to you. And I'm like, but God, I've got so many prayers I want to offer up. And um, So Matthew chapter 21 is a triumphal entry. Let's go ahead and read this. It says, now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. I love that. Go take their donkey and if they ask you why, say the Lord needs it. Oh, okay. Be blessed, donkey. So... This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed him. They brought him the donkey and the colt and put on, put them, and put on them their cloaks. He sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them out on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed after him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And he, when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Now, we're not going to read it, but if you have subtitle or sub, subheadings in your uh, Bible, what's the next subheading say? Jesus cleanses the temple. Jesus is so impressed with this great welcome that they've given, given him and how happy everyone is to see him that we know right after this he's going to turn around, go into the temple, find a bunch of money changers and start chasing people out with a whip. And somebody said that whenever someone says, what would Jesus do, remind them that making a whip and chasing money changers out of a temple is not out of the question right? So what would Jesus do? Every now and then he might chase some people out because they're blaspheming the name of God. Now, we all know how this story turns out, right? This is the beginning of Passion Week. If you don't know, it's a holy week, meaning Palm Sunday happens, all these things happen up till Good Friday. Good Friday is actually the day where Jesus is crucified, and then next Sunday is Easter. <clears throat> All of this happens, and we know what time of year because of the Jewish feasts that go along with this. But the disciples at this point haven't had a lot of persecution. Pharisees have come to Jesus, and they've given him a hard time, but Jesus always answered them. Jesus was always on the giving end, right? The Pharisees would try to throw something to stumble him, and Jesus would just turn them away with their tail between their legs and send them off. So really, following Jesus at this point has not been super hard for the disciples because he's Jesus, right? They're following the guy that everybody wants to hear, everybody wants to see, everybody wants to be around. And at this point, he's coming into Jerusalem, and they're screaming, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord, the son of David, right? They're just lauding all this praise on him. And Jesus, I feel like in his heart, doesn't accept their praise. Do you know why? Because if you accept the praise of men, you're going to have to accept their criticism too. And we're going to get to this in a second when we get to where we're talking about this morning. We should point out that the same people were likely in the same crowd that one week from now are going to be yelling, crucify him. How many of you know that you have people at your jobs or in your life that will just give you, oh, you're awesome, you're great, you're terrific, until you mess up and offend them? Until you say that thing that they didn't want you to talk about, or you do that thing that they didn't like, and all of a sudden it's not about, oh, you're such a great, nice person, now all of a sudden it's, you know, their version of crucify him. Right? There's a lot of people that I can only speak to at a certain level in my life. 
that I have to be encouraging to them because if I at any point express to them that maybe they need to straighten a thing out or maybe they need to work on a thing or something like that, that that relationship is instantly severed. I had a preacher once tell me that you could never speak into the life of somebody beyond the level of relationship that you've developed with them. If you only have this much relationship and you're trying to speak this much into their life, they're not going to accept it. And some people can only accept good from you and they can't accept Right, they can accept your praise, but they can't accept your criticism. Now, part of that is, is because in order to accept someone's criticism, you have to know that they love you and they're doing it for your good, right? That's where that relationship comes in. If they don't really know you, then that's not what criticism sounds like. America has repeated the cry of the first century Jews, amen? When they said, let his blood be upon us and upon his children, upon our children. This is what they're going to cry in a week when they say crucify him, right? And Pilate says he hasn't done anything wrong. I find no basis for your charges. Pilate's washing his hands. He doesn't want the blood of an innocent man on his hands. And the Jews cry out, let his blood be upon us and upon our children. And we live in a nation, we live in a society that has, in effect, begun to tell God, we don't care if it's wrong or not. If it's wrong, let us deal with it. Let it be on our heads. We don't care what you say. In fact, the one great sin in our society is to tell somebody they're doing something wrong, right? You can do a lot of things at your job, but the minute you tell somebody they're doing something morally wrong, they are not your friend. I was in the Navy and I had a person who was in charge over me, and I don't know if you know this about me, but when I was younger, I may have had a smart mouth. (laughs) I know, I know. And I remember... um, him just saying something bizarre about how he treated his kids. And I was like, what kind of dad are you? I I just said it almost flippantly, but as soon as his words came out of my mouth, his facial expression changed. Don't you question what kind of dad I am? I mean, he was literally talking about something that had I done it to my kids, I would have damaged them for life, right? And I'm just amazed that this would come out of his mouth just in a conversation. But as soon as I say, wow, that doesn't seem right, all of a sudden his expression towards me changes, right? How dare you tell me, right? How many, how many, how many grandmas have ever told their daughters how to raise their kids? Any, anyone? That works out great, doesn't it? That's, that, that's what every dog, you know, and listen, you know, it's, it's one of those things, right? And it's so funny because I saw this, I've seen this, you know, where, you know, the daughter has the kids and the mom wants to help, so the mom's telling the daughter, don't you tell me how to raise my kids, I know how to raise my, they do that thing with their, I can't do it, you know, women do that thing with their neck sometimes, I can't, I was raised, everybody could sass that thing, I can't sass, I'm a guy, right? I could smart aleck, I can't sass. Um. But it's more, it is more morally acceptable in our society to leave your wife because you are unhappy than it is to question someone's sexual purity. Did you know that? I, I had this thought once when I was in business that it would be easier for me as a businessman to go into someone's business and explain to them that I have decided to start wearing women's clothes, dressing as a woman, and, and having relations with men, and that would be applauded. But if I let them know that I was a preacher on the weekends, they'd look at me different and not in a kind way. Did you know that? That's our society. That's where we live, where one thing is considered acceptable and good and okay, and the other thing is considered, oh, you can't, you can't be like that. You can't judge my life, right? 
that our chief sin is to say something's wrong. Now here's the problem, is that the church in the last 30 years that I've been alive, the four, I've been alive 44 years, but I'm going to say, we'll say 30 that I remember. I, man, I remember church way back, right? But the church has been exceptionally good at telling people when they're wrong. In fact, I would say that that would be the greatest spiritual gift that we've exercised in the past 30 or 40 years is telling people they're wrong. Which is why we now face a nation that is united against us. Right? Because we kept seeing that things were going wrong and we didn't keep our mouth shut. But the problem was that little thing where I said you can't criticize somebody above the level of relationship you have in their life. So it wasn't like we were saying, hey, you're wrong and we love you and we want to disciple you. It was just saying, hey, you're wrong, you're bad, you're going to hell. You're either one of us or you are damned. That is what we told them. So what happens is, it wasn't wrong for us to seek holiness. It wasn't wrong for us to want to be a pure and spotless bride and to have our lives cleaned up so that one day when we stood before God, we could say, this is who I am, that you have made me and I have followed your calling, I have walked in my destiny, I have been what you have called me to be. That's not wrong. And it's not even wrong when you see someone else stumbling in their journey to try and help them or when you see someone else who's struggling with a sin to try and help them get out of that. The problem was the method that the church used in its past. And this is the reason why when they say the church is full of hypocrites, they don't come. Not because of the hypocrites, but because of the weapon that we used against the world when it came to judging sin was rejection. It was not discipleship. It was not love. It was not overcoming. When the church had a problem with the world, what we put out there was that I reject you for your sin. And when they say, I can't come back to church or I can't be in a church, it's not because there are people in the church that have issues. It's because they feel like you're going to judge them for their issues and that they're going to be rejected by you. I always think every time Elaine sings, there's a vulnerability to when you sing, Elaine, right? Because there was a time in your life where you weren't allowed to do that, right? There was a time in your life where your voice had to be in a special... And, and, and this is an interesting thing about singing. Singing is a vulnerable thing because... God bless us. Some of us do it terrible. Amen? I mean, just you know, bless the Lord if you're a bad singer. Joyful noise people, raise your hands. Amen? Don't raise your hand. You, yeah, I know a bunch of you. Hey, that's me. That's, uh, <laughs> I was in a band back in the day, and the only reason I started singing, oddly enough, was because I had a friend who was a guitarist who was shy, and I knew he would never be in a band unless I helped him, so I started learning to sing. But somewhere in the universe exist these tapes of me singing next to him that would peel the paint off the wall, that would drive all... It would be great for pest control because all the mice, cockroaches, it would run out of a building. If you played this loud enough, it would literally... All living creatures, for at least the earshot of that, would disperse. I mean, it was... It was terrible, but I did it because I wanted him to. But I remember that there's this vulnerability to being able to open your mouth and to try and hit a note and to try to sing. And even more so when you try to praise God, right? When you try, because worship is so intimate. Worship is so gentle. And yet there's such a vulnerability that goes with it that there's always this tiny fear of rejection. Now, I'm going to try and follow my notes because this is an incomplete sermon. And what I mean by that is if I tried to say everything that needs to be said, we would never get out of here. We would just go ahead and have jobs here. We would eat here. We would sleep here. It would take a long time to get through all of this. But there are definitely things that need to be said, and so I'm going to try and get to the important things today. 
Rejection is the nuclear launch button over which hovers the hand of the emotionally wounded and the emotionally and spiritually immature. Let me read that again. Rejection is the nuclear launch button over which hovers the hand of the emotionally wounded and the emotionally and spiritually immature. When someone doesn't know how to deal with things, they will push the button. I reject you. Get out. You're not my friend. I don't love you. I can't live like this anymore. I can't handle your drama, right? They have all these reasons why, but their hand hovers over that button. And the more spiritually or emotionally immature they are, the quicker they are to hit that. And I say that because we should expect the world to use that button a lot because they haven't come to know Christ. And I'm going to explain why in a little bit why that is. The church waved rejection around like a loaded gun, right? How long ago was it that a divorced couple couldn't show their face in a church for the mocking they would get? How long ago was it that an unwed mother couldn't come into the church for the rejection she would feel? How long ago was it that a homosexual couldn't come in here? Can I tell you, I was, I was working uh, somewhere years back. I was in Springfield. And I, I, I am me everywhere I go. I just talk and I just fellowship and I was just talking to this person and they had a Christian background and, and, and we were just kind of having a time and I was kind of talking about where her life was at and I'm really feeling this desire in her to be closer to the Lord but I can tell something is holding her back and so we're talking and I said, you know, I go to this church and this church is really great and you should come there sometime and we just have a, we just have a, a time there and, and she's really with me and then we walk out on the sidewalk as I'm leaving and she introduces me to her wife. Her girlfriend. It wasn't her wife. It was her girlfriend. And she said, would your church accept me? I knew they wouldn't. I knew as sure as I'm standing here that if I brought those people in there, they would have been more hurt by the church coming in than they would be if they just stayed home. Right? And I said this to that person, and I'll never forget that I said this. I said, one day, I'm going to be a pastor, and one day, I'm going to build a church where you can come and worship God. I know, some of you guys are like, what? (laughs) You don't understand how my heart breaks for those that feel rejected by the church. Because in America, there are two churches right now. There is church as church is, and then there's what I call the rejected church. And the rejected church is this. It's all the people that were raised in church, that understand the word of God, that have tasted of church, that know that they would want to be there, to be in the presence of God. They know things aren't right in their lives, and they would love to have that opportunity, but they cannot, for the life of them, cross the threshold because of how they feel about themselves, because of how rejected they would feel walking into a house of God. You can't have me in your sanctuary. Do you know what's in my life? Do you know what I've done? Do you know how my heart breaks for that? That there is literally an entire generation, there are literally millions of people in our country that want so bad to be where you are this morning, but they cannot because of the rejection they feel in their heart. Go to Matthew 21. We're right there. Go to verse 33 and 34. It said, Here another parable. There was a master of the house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. 
And he sent to other servants more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, Here, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When, therefore, the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? Who's the master of the house in this story? God's the master of the house. We know that because he says, I will send my son, my only son. But you know, every time I read that parable growing up, I always assumed that the tenants were the wicked people, the evil people. But you know who he's talking about, right? He says, I planted a vineyard, and I built a wall around it, and I tended to it, and I put a watchtower. I established this thing, and I had to go to a far country, so I put tenants in charge of the vineyard while I was away. Who were the tenants of the vineyard? We are. God has built things in people's lives. He has called people. He has called people to this church. He is drawing people to this church. He is building a vineyard and setting its walls in the watchtower, and he is taking care of it. And then he puts it in our hands. He says, while I'm away, I need you to take care of this. And then people came to collect the fruit, and what did they do? All of a sudden, it wasn't his vineyard. It's not the master's vineyard. It's my vineyard. It's my church. I go here. I own this. I decide who can and can't be in here. I decide who will and won't be accepted at my church. I decide. And so as each person came to the vineyard, they were cast out. And finally he said, I'll send my son. Surely they'll respect him. You know, a lot of the reason why people can't go to churches today is because there aren't a lot of good churches out there. Man, I pray to God that if someone goes into another church in this town that I know for a fact that they're going to hear the word of God preached, that they're going to feel the presence of God, they're going to know the spirit of God, they're going to feel the anointing of God coming out of that pulpit, but I know for a fact that it's not true. I know because I've had to find a church before. You ever had to find a church? You ever had to roam around looking for a place, right? It's tough. It's tough to find that place where the master of the vineyard is there, where it's not owned by the tenants, where they're not willing to kick people out because they don't look like, dress like, or act like I want them to act because they sin different than I sin or they do different than I do. And then people act like they own the vineyard and they kick everyone else out. And I wish I could say that every church in our nation was standing with someone behind the pulpit would preach the word of God like the word of God is written and say what is on the heart of the Lord, but I know in my heart that's not true. I wish it was. That's why I'm so careful (laughs) when I walk in his sanctuary, when I walk in his house, because I know I'm just the tenant of the vineyard. That what's happening in people's lives, I tell them sometimes I preach, you know, sometimes I preach and it doesn't matter what I say because I'll say one sentence or a couple of words and all of a sudden something, God will light something off in your heart, it will catch on fire and all of a sudden it's going through your mind and God is speaking to you in that moment and I'm just the wah, wah, wah in the background but you know the Lord has something for you and you feel that. Did you know sometimes I'm not that important in this service? I like to think I am, I put in a lot of time on this, Right? I obsess about it. I stress out about it. I wake up at five in the morning and I'm like, man, Lord, you got to do everything. This has to change the world today, God. And I feel like he will. I feel like he does show up. I feel like he is here. But I understand that my place here is just as a tenant. That my place here is I'm tending a vineyard that he has built, that he has grown. And that one day he's going to come back And he's going to say, where's the fruit? Where's my fruit? Where are the people that I sent to you? Did you bring them into your church? Did you tend to them or did you send them away? 
When they came in here, did you feed them? Did you give them of the vineyard? Did you make sure that when they went home, they felt loved of God, known of God, because they came here to meet me? Did you introduce us while they were here? I've got to be able to say, Lord, I tried my best. I did what I could. I made it all about you, God. I made sure that it was your church and that we were preaching your word and doing what you said to do. I told you you weren't getting an easy sermon today. You guys thought I was joking. The job of the tenants was to tend the fruit and present it to the master when he returned, but they wanted the fruit for themselves. They wanted to take the kingdom for themselves. Do you know how bad it turns out when church turns into a kingdom thing? When it turns into not to God's kingdom, but every man's kingdom? Then all of a sudden, you know, we were joking last week because <laughs> our youth, you know, they're independent fundamentalist Baptists, completely different from us. You know, they stand there with their arms at their sides, right, when they sing. You know, I don't know, are they allowed to clap? I don't know what it says in the Baptist Bible. They, they, can, they can clap, okay. They can clap, you know. Um, <laughs> somebody said they were, they were hiring ex-snipers, you know, coming back from Baghdad to take out the hand raisers. You know, I'm just kidding. Just a little joke there. But Donnie and I, right, and Hannah and their family and all of them, when they came here, did we worry about what denomination they were? Did we care what their denominational label was? You go to a church different than mine? You know, I meet with pastors all the time, and we know each other, we pastors do, because there are pastors, I know that they're about the kingdom, right? That they're about supporting each other as pastors. They're about supporting one another as churches. Because, see, here's why we're in the situation we're in. It used to be, 20 or 30 years ago, socially advantageous for you to say you were a Christian. And what I mean by that is if I asked you if you were a Christian, your default answer was yes, right? Isn't everyone... <laughs> But what you got was a whole lot of people who'd answer that question yes, who had for the life of you, never, you've never seen them take a single step in the path of following Christ. But are you a Christian? Oh yeah, I'm a Christian. That's, yeah, sure, everybody's a Christian, right? What church you go to? Mm, right? Well, what, what believers do you fellowship with? Mm, <laughs> ever read your Bible? Mm, right? I've read a verse, like, you know, hold up John 3.16 at the back of the end zone, so I looked it up once, Right? And what's happened nowadays is it's no longer socially advantageous to call yourself a Christian. Now saying you're a Christian might bring some scorn. Now saying you're a Christian might bring some rejection. Saying you're a Christian might cost you something. And so everybody's like, oh, the church is shrinking. Look at that. Church in America, numbers are declining. No. The people who said they were Christians because it was easy to say you're a Christian don't bother saying that anymore. But the church of God in this nation is still alive. Amen? The great danger in our church is not that we allow sinners in, it's that we'll keep saints out. It always breaks my heart. <laughs> denominations do this. The Assemblies of God really is one of the best denominations. And I'm not saying that just because I'm in it. I'm in it because I can say that, okay? I, I really do believe that. I've been in other denominations. And we don't act a lot like a denominations, but anytime you start putting a lot of the structure and a lot of rigor... The, the, the rigor behind it, they can hurt people, right? Because it becomes about bureaucracy and rules and things like that. And I cannot tell you how many ministers I've seen thrown away by a denomination because they stumbled. I was talking to a minister who said that, you know, when he was going through Bible college, he'd only been saved a little bit, and, and they were talking about a specific sin, and if you have this in your life, you know, there's, there's amnesty right now, just let us know, and we'll help you get through it. And so he thought, okay, me, I've, I've got that. Next thing you know, he's in like six levels of counseling and almost getting his papers pulled because he admitted that he was struggling with the sin, that they said, hey, go ahead and admit you're struggling with it. 
And a lot of times with our rules and with our regulations and with our, you know. Anyway, let's get off that, David. Because here's the thing. We're in Matthew. Let's go over four more chapters. Let's go to Matthew 26. Here's the real thing I want to say today because I know in saying all of that, the reason I'm telling you that is because I want you to prepare you for what you're going to meet in the world. You are going to meet people who feel rejected, who feel betrayed, who feel like the church will never accept who they are and have already judged the church in their mind as a place that they can never set foot in because of the attitude that's going to be shown to them. And you need to be ready to tell them why that's not true. Because they accept me. They let me in, they'll let you in. Trust me, there's been some stuff in my life. Right, Paul? Tell them. They say, look, I checked, Paul's, I checked the boxes off in my past, right? We, we, you know what I'm saying? They let me in, they're going to let you in. The church is a place of hope. And this is the thing about this, though, and this is the thing that really breaks my heart, is not everybody that feels rejected by the church leaves. There are people who still come to church, even though they have felt since they've been in that church rejected, wounded in their soul. And yet they still come because it's my duty, it's what I do. I'm trying to please God and yet they carry inside of them this burden. But they hurt me. The church did this to me. The church wounded me. And so Matthew chapter 26, start at verse 6. Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask, a very expensive ointment. She poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. It wasn't the Pharisees, right, that were criticizing her. Said the disciples said. They were indignant. Why this waste? Every time you do something in church, couldn't we have just... Yeah, yeah, never mind. But Jesus was aware of them and said this, Why do you trouble this woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for my burial. Truly I say unto you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Have you ever broken your box for someone who turned you away? Have you ever been in church and really felt the Lord telling you to talk to somebody or to greet somebody or to shake somebody's hand or to step outside your box and put yourself out there for somebody who didn't want what you had, who didn't want to hear what you had to say, who didn't want to be around you, and then you feel rejected by the disciples. When the woman broke the alabaster box over Christ... She may not have known what she was doing. She just knew she had to do it. But what she was doing didn't make sense to the people that didn't understand what was going on. I was telling them a story this morning that I was at a church once, and, and it was one of those crazy wild churches where we just you know run around being crazy, right? Um, not quite like that, but they, that people like to wave flags and banners, and we had a real praise and worship time there. And I remember one time telling the Lord, man, I wish I had a banner to, to wave. And the Lord said, you're wearing it, because I had a suit jacket on. So I took that thing off and started, woo, you know, going, you know. And I think, man, how many times has somebody raised their hands? How many times has somebody praised the Lord? How many times has somebody done something in church and had someone else say, well, 
that wasn't of the Spirit. That was flesh. That wasn't right how they did that. You shouldn't praise the Lord. You don't need to be loud. You're just drawing attention to yourself. And all of a sudden, what we're supposed to be doing, that alabaster box that we're breaking for the Lord, comes under the criticism of other people in the church. And what do we learn to do? We learn to sit in our seats with our hands at our side and just be quiet and don't make any noise and don't make a fuss. Do you know what the antidote to rejection is? Do you know what cures all rejection? Do you know what fixes the whole thing, everything that anyone has ever spoken bad over you? And everyone in here at some point has put themselves out there for somebody who looked at them and said, I don't want what you have, and you felt that. I always say guys especially, right? Every guy. <laughs> you know, Because um, in our society, guys have to approach the girls, and there's always that girl that just, I love my wife, but every now and then she'll still put me on notice. You know? You're not that special. You better bring better than that, right? I kid. My wife makes me a better person. But we've all been through rejection in the church from other people. We've all had that, right? I told somebody the other day, one of the funny things about being a pastor is that everybody else knows how to pastor. Um, <laughs> it's tough sometimes because everybody else knows what I should be doing, and I don't always, right? And I've got to figure it out by hearing everyone else tell me what I'm doing, you know, that I could maybe fix this. And it's not mean stuff. They're not trying to dig at me, right? They're just trying to help me out. Everybody knows how to do this but me. I'm still, you know, kind of like, ah, I have no idea, Lord. And everybody's like, well, this is what you should do, right? But you know why none of that ever hurts? Because I know what God has called me to do. I know who I am in Christ. I know that Belvedere, Illinois, at Belvedere First, Assembly of God, is the place that God has called me to be, and that my identity is His servant in this place at this time. And so when anyone ever says something that's contrary to that, or doesn't fit in with that, or doesn't seem to match that, I know they're wrong. I know that what God has told me is true. I know that His Word is true and every man is a liar. The reason why criticism and rejection hurts us so is because we don't always know what God has called us to be and what God has called us to do and we're letting other people put their expectations and their hopes and their criticism on it and that's not who you should be listening to. There's always going to be somebody telling you something contrary to what God has called you to be because they don't know you. And they don't know what God has called you to be. And that's why we feel rejected. Because we put so much weight on the word of someone who is not the person who has made us and who has called us. Do you know that he has made and called and put something inside of you that is undeniable, unrejectable, and unassailable by the world? Do you know what that is? Because until you figure that out, until you get that place with God where you know what He has called you to be, you are going to be at the whim of the enemy every time, those critical words every time someone doesn't do something right or somebody does something that seems like it's against you or something that kind of hurts you, you take it personal, it digs inside of you, it eats at you, it wears you down, you go to bed at night replaying over and over in your head, oh my gosh, this is what they said, that person doesn't really like me, let me tell you, you need to be free from the approval of anyone but God you don't need my approval as a pastor you need God's approval you don't need your parents approval you don't need your kids approval you need God's approval because once you know who you are in Christ knowing your identity is the oh my gosh we're out of time I'm telling you guys there's 
Identity is handed over rejection, and our identity is found in covenant. Our identity is the antidote to rejection, and our identity is found in covenant. Do you know why you are a Christian? Was anyone else raised that if you just recited these words after somebody that you were, you know, that's it? You know, just say what I say, poof, you're a Christian. Not scriptural, right? Being a Christian means you follow Christ. It means you call on the name of the Lord. It means you have a relationship with him. If there's no meaning behind the words, if you don't know who Christ is, if you don't follow him, if you don't seek him, right? If you're not in covenant with him. That's what I love about marriage, you know, doing marriage ceremonies. I was looking, um, Tom and Nicole, at your all's vows because somebody else has me doing a thing for them. I'm helping them write some vows. I was like, well, let's look at something I've written and, you know, this kind of what. But, but it, it's all about the fact that when you get married, you build this hill, you build this fortress on this hill, and you say, you know what? I am married to you now. And no matter what else, that is true. And I am in covenant with you. Kristen and I can get in an argument. We can get mad. We can get everything. But you know what I know about Kristen at the end of the day? Is it her heart? heart is always towards forgiving me right she knows i can't come over to work and do my job because the bible says if you don't treat your wife right then your prayers are hindered so if i haven't made things right with her i have a real hard time with my staff meeting with god right because the first thing he's going to say is what's wrong with Kristen?" right and so I know in my heart that at the baseline of everything, that at the end of the day, no matter what happens, that is the fortress and the rock that we go back to, that we stood before God and entered a covenant and made a vow and said, this is the hill I die on. This is where I make my stand. You need to have that place with Christ in your life that you have come into covenant with him and said, this is the hill I die on. That no matter what else anybody says, I know that I have accepted you in my heart, that I follow you in my steps, and that you are the God I serve and make that place unassailable and make the words of the enemy just fall off the walls right just like just like water falling off a window this is where i make my stand i am in covenant with god do you know (laughs) you must love your church but you must love christ more than you love your church You must love your family, but you must love Christ more than you love your family. You must love your friends, but you must love Christ more than all of your friends. Because if you seek acceptance from anyone or anything more than you seek it from the Lord, it will hurt you down, it will let you down, and you will come away feeling rejected. If you don't love Christ more than you love your church... Because sometimes the church is going to do things that don't feel right or that nobody meant to, right? We're just people, and it happens. But if you put the church above Christ and you seek the acceptance of a church above Christ, that church will let you down. Did you know family, if you put your family above Christ, if you put what your family says about you, if you put any of that above Christ, they're going to let you down. You've got to know that what he says, when Jesus says a man, you have to hate your father and mother, it doesn't mean you've got to kick him to the curb and watch him starve. No, but it means that he's got to have that top place because any other thing that you put in the place of him and that you seek the acceptance of becomes the idol that will let you down in moments of trial and moments of trouble because it is not made to sustain you only god's acceptance only god saying who you are is going to sustain you only jesus knew why she had to pour the oil out she didn't understand she was just obedient 
Didn't make sense to disciples, but she was obedient. People around her criticized her, but she was obedient. She knew what she had to do, and only the words of the Master mattered to her. Disciples, you can reject me all you want. I know that what I'm doing, I am called of God to do. People can come down on me all they want. I know in my heart that God has called me and that I am his child. People can look at me and say, you're worthless all they want. I know that in him I have worth because he died for me. He was willing to lay down everything for me. And I know because he would set down everything to be in covenant with me that I matter to him. And if I matter to him, if I don't matter to anybody else, it's okay. Because I matter to him. And his approval and his acceptance are what I need above everything else. Covenant is the safeguard of rejection. Amen. I have three different ways to end this, and I'm not sure which one we're going to do. But praise team, if you want to come up, we're actually just, yeah. The praise teamettes, half the praise team. Ushers, if you would come forward, we're going to serve communion. I really wanted to read out of Isaiah, but that's just not, we just don't have the time. So I'm going to go to John chapter 6. And communion fits so well into this. Because John chapter 6, 35 through 40 says this, Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe all that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Whoever comes to me I will never cast out for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will but to do the will of him who sent me and this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me but to raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Ushers, if you would distribute the elements. <laughs>